Hello, lovely listeners. Welcome to the intro for this latest episode of History is Gay. It's Lee saying hi, just with a couple of announcements for you before we dive into this live episode from TGI Femslash last month. First of all, I just wanted to say that I hope everyone is doing okay out there with all of the coronavirus stuff. I know that we're all facing a lot of potential isolation. Please be sure to continue being in community with people online and doing what you can to keep your spirits up and keep yourself safe and healthy. Go ahead and listen to a whole bunch of other wonderful queer podcasts and use that to take up your time. You know, talk with us on Twitter. We're happy to have really interesting conversations. We want to make sure that we bring people together during this time as well as be a source of comfort for you. Uh, in terms of fun announcements, though, we've got some really cool things that you can check out while you uh, may potentially be quarantined. Uh, one is we have some new merch coming to the store. We have two new awesome t-shirts designed by Hafsa Mijinua, who is the person who did our amazing logo way, way back when we started this podcast. We are really excited to be finally putting them up on our web store. We've got a shirt that's says liberté, égalité, fraternité, homosexuality, hearkening back to our episode on Magnus Hirschfeld. It's one that we're really proud of. If you are a musicals fan and you like Les Mis, you will particularly like this one. And then we also have another amazing design that says, we're all queer here with a Cheshire Cat smile. And so I really, really hope that you get an opportunity to go on our store and check those out and grab whatever you want. Second really awesome announcement in the land of our listeners are so cool. When we did our Sappho episode, we joked that someone should contact us and help us make a Sappho shitpost generator. Well, y'all came through with flying colors. We had two amazing listeners, Annie and Laura, come up with something that is more beautiful than we could have ever imagined. It's super fun to play with, and so it is now live on our website. You can go to historyisgaypodcast.com slash Sappho and play with the super, super fun generator that they have helped us create. And I'm just continually blown away by how amazing this community is. So I just wanted to say thank you to everyone. Please be safe, be healthy, wash your hands. Uh, if someone can come up with a History is Gay related hand washing meme, I'll share it. That would be really funny. So yeah, um, enjoy our episode on Anne Lister from the TGI Femslash panel that we did back in February. Enjoy! Hello, and welcome to History is Gay, a podcast that examines the underappreciated and overlooked queer ladies, gents, and gentle endies that have always been there in the unexplored corners of history. Because history has never been as straight as you think. I'm Lee. And I'm Gretchen. And we are here live again for our third annual TGI Femslash episode. Woo! 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 
friends. Yay. We have an audience, a live audience. <laughs> yes. A live audience of our friends. A whole bunch of gays. This way you will know if our jokes don't land. True. <laughs> True. <laughs> um, this episode, we are talking about the talk of Halifax, Gentleman Jack herself, Anne Lister. Yay! Featuring Anne Lister. Anne Lister. For those of you who are not present in person with us, Lee has their Halloween costume on, which is Anne Lister. And I am currently holding a big giant thermometer, so I am the thermometer <laughs> to Lee's Gentleman Jack. <laughs> it's a great euphemism. <laughs> I'm the thermometer. I'm the thermometer. I'm the thermometer. Okay, but now I wish that Ann Lister had used this as a euphemism in her diary. True. I feel like it would be appropriate. We'll talk about that. <laughs> yes, yeah, a preview of things to come. Yes. So, uh, as usual, we have a short amount of time, so this is going to be a little bit of a different episode. We know tomorrow is the panel on Gentleman Jack, the show, so we wanted to give everyone a little primer on our uh, prolific gay-as-fuck diarist and get into the real-life drama Saran Jones Adventures are based off of. Yeah. Do we have any content warnings? Um, not not for this little mini. No. Not for this little mini. Um, a lot of a lot of words that are for sexy times. <laughs> right. I'll say that. Because <laughs> um, <laughs> Ann Lister liked the sexy times. She did like the sexy times. Format for this episode, gonna be a little bit different. We don't have enough time to go through everything we'd like. And much like Ann Lister writing four million words, we're very verbose. So... We're going to do a little teaser, and this will be kind of a first part of our two-parter episode on Anne Lister. So we're going to go a little bit into bio, give a little bit of background on y'all, or on her for y'all and her lady loves, and then we're going to launch into some fun audience participation segments. What do y'all think? Yes. Yay. Would you like to to jump right in? Yeah. Where we wanted to make some sort of... Queer coding joke for... I really wanted to make some kind of queer coding joke because Ann Lister wrote in code. Yes. <laughs> in her diary, so she literally queer coded herself. Yes. So insert some kind of queer coding joke for the title of this episode later. Yeah, we'll figure uh, it out later. It'll be fine. <laughs> Gretchen, would you like to start off by talking a little bit about her bio? Sure. Who, who is this lady? This lady is a 19th century land-owning British gentlewoman and perhaps one of the first modern lesbians in Western society. She is the most well-known and acknowledged for painting a picture of 19th century queer sexuality that was at odds with a somewhat sexless imagining of romantic friendships between women at the time. Through her incredibly elaborate and detailed and prolific diary entries <laughs> that she kept from 1817 to her death in 1840, which includes an account of the first same-sex marriage in Britain, very mm -hmm. first yes. in the modern era. She was born April 3rd, 1791, in Halifax, England, the second child and oldest daughter of Jeremy Lister and Rebecca Battle, which I just really enjoy that her mother's <laughs> last name is Battle. Yes. Uh, she had a sister and four brothers, but only she and her sister Marion uh, managed to live past 20 years old. Good old, old-timey uh, <laughs> life expectancies there. Yep. <laughs> uh, when she went to school, she developed an abiding love for classical literature. That's right. She was a book nerd. We bet she was probably a Gavin Claw. Definitely. Like yeah. <laughs> but with very strong Slytherin tendencies. Very much so. so. Yes. Yeah. Uh, we don't have a lot of time to get into it in this, like, 50 minutes, but um, She's not, not the greatest of ladies. No. <laughs> Somewhat no. Prob problematic fave, at best. Uh, 
She, at that boarding school in York, where she got sent, sent there at the age of 14, she gained a reputation as a tomboy and began her first romantic relationship with a girl. <laughs> what? She liked girls at 14. At 14. Mm-hmm. That's a mood. Uh, her love of books and reading went so far as to be almost therapy for her. She always found solace in writing and reading. A quote from her diary is, What is there like gaining knowledge? All else here below is but vanity and vexation of spirit. I am happy among my books. I am not happy without them. I think we can all give snaps for that. Snaps for that. Yeah. Uh, She always, so as you may have noticed in the show, she dresses quite masculinely. She had always despised feminine or like pretty clothing. And she was very, very particular about what she wore. At the age of 26 in 1817, which is also the year that she started keeping her diaries, she decided to always wear black, just deciding to go goth, go early. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, she rushed through Europe cutting a striking silhouette in masculine and sleek fashion, the complete opposite of the conventional 19th century women's dress of bows and bonnets and frills and gigantic poofy sleeves. Yes. So many poofs. That's, I mean, their sleeves are so big because they're, they're full of secrets, Her, right? Their sleeves are so big, they're so th- full of secrets. They're full of secrets. Yes. <laughs> so she settled into Shibden, which was the name of her family home, in 1815 and in 1826 at the age of 35, inherited the estate when her uncle James died, at w- which point she dove into managing all the affairs of the estate. However, she would not receive full ownership until 1836 with the death of her aunt. With this financial freedom, uh, it allowed her to live her life as she pleased. I mean, it was one of the only ways that women were allowed to kind of do whatever they want is if they were independently wealthy, which meant not a lot of them could do whatever they wanted. So this, uh, she also had shares in mining, canals, railway industries, stone quarries, and a few properties in town, which gave her a varied financial portfolio. Uh, which, again, supplemented her income quite nicely. The rare, dignified, well-put-together lesbian... Uh, Vers- versus the disasters we're so used to seeing. Yes, we're very <laughs> used to disasters. She was a dignified lesbian. <laughs> yes, dignified. Uh, she also owned and opened a coal mine, executing her estate and wealth like the shrewdest of businessmen, always wanting to prove herself capable of a man's job. You'll see that a lot. She is very, very much interested in one-upping many a dude, especially when it comes to... Loving Sexing lady. ladies. Yes. Uh, this is, she, she was also incredibly fascinated by, uh, anatomy and medicine. Talks a little bit about it in the show. Um, she was real into it, y'all. She welcomed any opportunity to observe or partake in any dissection or autopsy she could. Uh, she even enjoyed doing her best to treat and in- inspect her friends and lovers when they had <laughs> go- gross ailments. Like, ooh, you have weird green discharge? Let me see. She she kept she kept a full sized human skeleton in her room. A real one? Yeah, real one. Yep. She she had body parts just like sent to her in the mail so she could dissect them. She even she she really liked dissecting fetuses. She she said that she never dissected a full human, but she had dissected three fetuses. You know, just girl stuff. Girl stuff. Normal, normal 19th century girl stuff. Yeah, yeah. Totally normal. Uh, (laughs) 
She traveled extensively and was always chasing new experiences. She was a travel lesbian. Yes. Adventure lesbian, shall mm-hmm. we say. As Anne Coma writes in the introduction to a collection of Lister's diaries, Anne was, quote, an adrenaline-fueled thrill seeker. She scaled Swiss mountains, descended into French silver mines, clambered through Scottish caves, and wandered into extinct foreign volcanoes. Sure. Adventure lesbian. Yes. <laughs> I want that. Like animated series, but uh, <laughs> adventure Le- and Adve- Lister, the adventure, the adventure Le- lesbian. Oh my gosh, her initials are AL. Adventure, adventure lesbian. lesbian. Yes. yes. <laughs> and in the, and in the quickest bio we've ever done on this show ever, <laughs> the adventure would come to an early end when she died in 1840 at the age of 49 years old on a trip with her what? not wife, quote yes. unquote. Uh, in the, in the Caucasian mountains at 1840. Yes. We did it! Yay! Oh my gosh! Like a five minute bio. Yeah, wow. That's, That's, I'm impressed with us. Yeah, I'm very proud. Uh, so why, why do we think, why 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 do we think, why is Ann Lister gay? (laughs) Why do we think she's gay? Why do we think that Ann Lister's gay? Uh, she wrote about it a whole lot. Yeah. In like, extensive diaries? Yes. Yeah, Uh, apparently being, like, a diarist is a thing. Like, be known for just writing about your everyday life. Like, I had this glass of apple juice today, and then I had seven orgasms. (laughs) With a lady. Which is literally what it's like reading Ann Lister's diaries. it is. It is. Um, So in her lifetime, she wrote over 7,000 pages and five, about, like, just under five million words. Mm -hmm. That's a lot. She wrote a lot. All by hand, almost a million of these words that she wrote were about her sexy times. Um, and, and, the, and the words in the sexy time passages were written in a code. Yes, which is why we made the joke about queer coding. Yes. Because she wrote in a code that was derived from algebra and Greek, so it's like a bunch of Greek letters and math symbols. So she queer coded herself. Yep, she queer coded herself. Yeah. <laughs> So they found these diaries. One of her relatives, John Lister, uh, and his friend Arthur Burrell found the diaries and deciphered the code. And Arthur encouraged John to burn them. Arthur wanted him to just, just burn it. This will bring, you know, quote, shame to the family kinds of bullshit. Uh, thankfully, John did not burn them. He just hid them in a wall behind a secret panel in the house. For years and years and years. For years and years and yeah. years. And after they found that it, so, Eventually, someone found these diaries, but there was this council committee of academics at the Halifax Library, which is where the diaries had been donated to, said that they wanted, they were willing to publish the diaries as long as they kept the quote-unquote unsuitable aspects undecoded. So they were willing to publish, like, the diaries when they talked about, like, daily life and life on the estate and kind of what Ann Lister was doing, but didn't want to have the, you know, queer stuff decoded and published until... 1982, a woman named Helena Whitebread, or Whitbread. It is spelled like Whitebread without the E after white, so Whitbread. Whitbread. But it looks like Whitebread, which is funny to me. <laughs> um, she became intrigued by what she was seeing in the diaries with the code and was able to obtain a copy of Burrell and Lister's cipher to decode the diaries and began decoding them. And no one stopped her. No, At that point, no one was like, well, you can't decode this, the diary. She just did it. And, you know, started decoding and found that it was about 
lesbian things and women having sex with each other yes. and was like, wow, this is fascinating. I did not know that there was a woman who wrote so explicitly about her sexual experiences and she has now decoded what? How many diaries? Uh, I think it's like like a good maybe three quarters of it. I think. Yeah. Um, but it's yeah. still ongoing and you can actually, if you want, you can go to annlister.co.uk and see images from the original diaries. And e- there are even some passages that have been decoded that you can find there. Otherwise you can buy books. Mm-hmm. Yeah. They were dubbed the Dead Sea Scrolls of Lesbian History by historian Emma Donahue, who we've, we've read before. We yes. enjoy. Um, and the thing that was really, really prolific about Ann Lister and the way that she was writing is that all the, all the sex that she was having, Proves that there, the sexual desire between women was far more commonplace than people have thought. There's a huge trend in thinking about early 19th, early 18th and 19th century relationships between women as being somewhat sexless. There's, there's a huge focus in a historical discussion on romantic friendships and the question is always, we don't know what the nature of these relationships are. We have feelings about them being very queer, but we also don't know if that was an asexual type of arrangement. And Lister's diaries show that there was sex <laughs> happening and, a lot around her. And because Anne Lister had so many partners, we know that it was not just like Anne Lister and like two people. It was like Anne Lister and... And a lot of women. And a lo- yeah, she is she is definitely a rake. <laughs> yes, as as you would as you would you would call her. Yes. Uh, so speaking of which, speaking of which, let's talk a little bit about the loves of Lister's life. Very good alliteration. Yes. Good job. The lovers of Lister's life. <laughs> yes. Uh, she she was known to some of her lovers as Fred or Freddie, and uh, there was a epithet assigned to her called Gentleman Jack. Um, and the people in, in Halifax, I think mostly that was like passed down after she died. Like that was the kind of the legendary thing. We will um, get into why, where Gentleman Jack comes from a little bit later. We will. Do you want to talk about Eliza cr- crush number one? Crush number one, Eliza Rain. So when Anne was sent to the Manor House School in York, two years later, after she was sent there, so at 15 or 16, she met Eliza Rain, who was the illegitimate half-Indian daughter of a wealthy surgeon in the East India Trading Company. They shared a bedroom in the attic. Oh my God, they were roommates. <laughs> and maybe there was only one bed? Oh, I mean, probably, right? Maybe? <laughs> yes. <laughs> so both had actually been sent to the attic as punishment. <laughs> Uh, Go in there and service your roommate. (laughs) (laughs) Yes. Um, And it was Eliza and Anne that created the code that Anne Lister then used the rest of her life in her diaries to discuss her relationships with women. And they called it her crypt hand. That was her name for her cipher. And then when Anne broke off her relationship with Eliza... Eliza actually ended up becoming severely depressed. She, like, never got married, never really had any other relationships, and I think was eventually institutionalized, so. Heartbreaker. Heartbreaker. Yeah. Uh, Anne became obsessed at this point with discovering where her feelings came from. She was even looking in medical and anatomical textbooks. She actually looked into, uh, for a little while, a lot of, like, thinking at the time was like, oh, if you're having these feelings, you must be intersex. You must have an enlarged clitoris and things like that. She even, she even looked into that. She, and she's actually one of the, one of the, the first people to write about finding the clitoris. 
which is really interesting. Um, yeah. Uh, so she eventually came to embrace it, seeing it as basically her God-given right. She was very, very at home with marrying her faith and her sexuality, which was astonishing at the time. And now, yep. honestly, for many people. Yep. So one of her next loves was Mariana Belcom, or Mariana. So... Anne was asked to leave her boarding school because she was too gay, too gay for boarding school, but rejoined later after Eliza had already left her first crush. She then began relationships with two young women, Mariana Belcom and the next young girl that we will talk about, Isabella Norcliffe. Um, and they were day students at the school. So they weren't boarding students. They were day students at the school. Um, just, this just like coming in, going out. Yep. So. They would, like, for years, Anne and Mariana would travel, like, 40 miles by horse and carriage between York and Halifax to see each other. And <laughs> That long-distance lesbian Yeah. Family. Yep. Long-distance lesbian fa- I feel like Anne Lister's life is just, like, a bundle of tropes mm-hmm. that we are all familiar they with. They were roommates, and there was one bed. <laughs> and then long-distance relationship. Um, so they would write each other every few days, long yearning letters, um, and even exchanged rings as a symbol of their commitment to each other. And they even carried on the relationship after Mariana got married to a man. There's a lot of drama there. A lot of drama. Uh, as was customary at the time for female friends to join new brides. Okay, so it was a custom at the time for... When a young woman, when a young woman got married, that her best friends would go on the honeymoon. <laughs> Sounds super weird. Sounds super straight. Totally. Um, and Anne was asked to go <laughs> on the honeymoon with Mariana. Totally innocent. Totally. Yep. Totally yeah. innocent. Yeah, Anne, Anne basically resented what she saw as Mariana selling herself to somebody she didn't love. Uh, Anne had really, really wanted Mariana to marry her. So they had this like on again, off again relationship. There's a lot of emotion and passionate letters, clandestine meetings, a lot of drama and angst and heartache. But we only have a short amount of time. So we're going to move on. Do you Tune wanna- in later. <laughs> uh, next person we're going to talk about is Isabella Norcliffe. So she was the eldest child of a wealthy landowner. The self-assurance and social confidence of the girl who was six years older than Eliza impressed Anne. Uh, Lister saw her in her a kindred spirit, and they also had an on-again, off-again relationship. It lasted many years. This would be a kind of trend. Um, Isabella never married, and Lister's rejection of her as a life partner broke her heart. She just never was into her as much as Mariana. Mm-hmm. That's yep. a theme. <laughs> yep. So the next love of Lister's life is Maria Barlow, who is a widow from Guernsey, whom Lister liked for being ladylike and pretty. But Lister eventually broke off their relationship because apparently Maria was too, too moody. moody. Yeah. Too many feelings. Too many feels. Uh, then we have Vera Hobart, uh, who is the sister to the fifth Earl of Buckinghamshire. She was from the upper class that Anne Lister wished desperately to be a part of, which was part of her allure. She always went after rich, pretty, feminine ladies. This woman had no intentions of becoming Lister's lifelong companion, went on to, again, marry an army officer, which left Anne brokenhearted the most that she had been since Mariana and caused her to return dejectedly, limping back home to Shibden Hall. Where she met... Anne Walker. Hey! 
who is the relationship that people would be familiar with from Gentleman Jack. Jack. So by 1832, Walker had become a substantial heiress and took on a larger and larger role in Lister's life. And she was originally kind of perceived as being this like shy, gentle neighbor. But Lister eventually was like, oh, maybe she's a potential marriage partner. Maybe I could marry yeah. this lady. The first time she met her, she described her as like a sad, vulgar girl. <laughs> That's how I like to describe my future wife. <laughs> so, though at first Anne's attraction to Lister was from her wealth, Lister soon came to be physically and romantically attracted to Walker, writing, perhaps after all, she will make me really happier than any of my former flames. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Uh, they, ex- after a lot of back and forth, a lot of back and forth, back and forth, back and forth, they ended up getting back together and exchanged rings. Uh, Walker's was gold and Lister's was onyx, because you gotta keep that aesthetic. The black, the, the, goth, the goth aesthetic, the goth aesthetic. Uh, even down to the ring. And on Easter Sunday, March 30th, 1834, Anne and Anne, try saying Anne and Anne three times fast. Anne and Anne. Anne and Anne. Anne and Anne and Anne and Anne and They took communion together and thereafter considered themselves married. Obviously didn't have any sort of legal recognition, but who gave a shit? Anne Lister was like, cool, God saw us get married. Everything's good. Um, they lived... Yeah. Hashtag bless. They lived together in Shipton Hall for the rest of Anne Lister's life in between bouts of, like, traveling. They even went as far as Russia uh, until Anne's death in 1840. So before we move on to kind of our fun things, we're going to do just a tiny little bit about Lister's legacy. So more than 40 years after her death, while reporting on a dispute over the ownership of Shipton Hall, I just loved this. The Leeds Times in 1882 stated... Miss Lister's masculine singularities of character are still remembered. Also, uh, also, so, oh, yeah. so like everyone was like, yeah, we still remember that lady yeah. who dressed like a dude and married a woman. We still remember. Also, she kept clippings of her lover's pubic hair. <laughs> Intrigued? <laughs> Guess you'll just have to listen to the next episode. Yeah. <laughs> so that concludes the we're going to tell you shit about this person portion of this episode. Now we're going to do, with all the hubbub around Gentleman Jack, we really wanted to talk about Ann Lister's diaries and share some entries with you because they're very juicy. But we're going to make it interesting and play something we like to call Dialogue or Diary. We're going to read a passage and you, the audience, will have to vote on whether you believe it's an excerpt from a true diary entry or taken from dialogue out of Gentleman Jack, the show. Who knows? Spoilers. So, like to start off, our first entry is: Oh, women, women! I am always taken up with some girl or other. When shall I amend? All right. Dialogue or diary. Dialogue or diary. 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 Yeah, y'all got us. It's the diary. Mm -hmm. All right. Next one. I've been in Icarus, I've flown too near the sun, and now I crash back to Earth at Shibden, shabby little Shibden, and my shabby little family. Dialogue or both? I think it's definitely dialogue, but maybe both. Uh, hello audience member, what did you say? I said I think it's both, it's definitely in the show, but I think it's, it's both or it's paraphrasing. She definitely said the Icarus thing. You are correct! Da-da-da-da-da! Yay! (laughs) So... 
This is this is a quote, like, there's a similar quote in her diary after she falls out with, with Vera, where she says, I have been an Icarus, but shall fall less fatally, for I can still live and be happy. So what she was referring to was, by Icarus, she's referring to her desire to be part of this wealthier, higher class set of society that Vera represented and was a part of. So she was, like, trying, she was trying to say, like, I tried to climb the social ladder too high, and I have fallen, but I will still find love again. Uh, next one we have is, I cannot live without female company, without someone to interest me. Dialogue or diary? diary. 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 You guys are too Man, good at this. You guys are smart. That's true. Next entry? I mean, these are all kind of entries in the, like, the thing. I'm trying to think of the right word. Next. Next bit. Next, bit. next excerpt. Next bit. Next excerpt. I love and only love the fairer sex, and thus beloved by them in turn, my heart revolts from any love but theirs. Diary. We tricked you on this one. Uh, So dialogue on the show, almost exactly the same, though it adds a few other lines that resonate with our modern sensibilities. So the actual line from the show is, I love and only love the fairer sex. My heart revolts from any other love than theirs. These feelings haven't wavered or deviated since childhood. I was born like this. Yeah. So you can see how they kind of updated that to kind of fit with our modern understanding of what innate sexuality is. is, Mm -hmm. Yeah. Next. I know my own heart, and I know men. I am not made like any other I have seen. I dare believe myself to be different than any others who exist. Diary. Diary. Yeah. Yep. Next entry. Thought I to myself, (laughs) shall I make up to Miss Walker? Though she'll scarcely understand it herself, I can see that the poor girl already seems thoroughly in love with me, and what she lacks in rank she certainly makes up for in fortune. I love me both. Yeah. Definitely dialogue. Dialogue. It is dialogue. But based off of an actual diary entry in which she says, She little dreams what is in my mind. She has money and this might make up for rank. We get on very well so far. Yeah. But uh, (laughs) by what is in my mind, Lister means attempted to marry her and her fortune would then be used to fix up her house uh, and fund her travels around the world. She was really doing what most landowning men at the time did. Basically look for a wife whose fortunes or rank would fund their interest. So looking for a sugar mommy. Yeah, she was. Yeah. This is one of my favorites. Nature played a challenging trick on me, didn't she? Putting a bold spirit like mine in this vessel, in which I'm obliged to wear frills and petticoats. Well, I refuse to be cowed by it. That is a line of dialogue. However, uh, we have another line that is very kind of similar is we've got a line from, from the diary. The fact is, she thinks me odd, more as she once let slip, more like man than woman. Yep. So The next one is... I could not sleep last night, dozing, hot and disturbed. A violent longing for a female companion came over me. Never remember feeling it so painfully before. It was an absolute pain to me. That's diary. pretty gay. That's diary. Diary. Yes. That's real gay. That's diary. Dozing, hot and disturbed. She all right. hot and bothered. Basically. Uh, for those of you who perhaps didn't get to hear that in the audience, one of our audience members just said, I'm so horny, I can't sleep. <laughs> Which inevitably will end up on the overheard at TGFM slash Twitter. Yes. Oh, yeah. <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. <laughs> there we go. Yep. <laughs> uh, and our last one, conscience is not always strictly just. 
She may be too lenient or too severe. She may be lulled to sleep or tossed in feverish restlessness. We cannot judge ourselves, and I cannot believe you deserve your torments of conscience. What? It's dialogue. It's dialogue. Yeah. Wow. Just dialogue. So far as we've been able to find. Yeah. It is just dialogue. So yay. I would say I would say you guys did a really good, good job. job. Was that the last one? Yeah, that was. That was. The last one. That was the last one. We, we did. We tricked you. Ha <laughs> <laughs> ha. We have the same break? left. Yes. Uh, so it's almost like we've been working together for three years, Lee. So but just a little up. bit. <laughs> <laughs> All right. So to round this out, we're going to close things out with our favorite segment, words of the week. episode we have a special game show edition of word of the week we're going to present a word that is part of the code of Anne lister using in her diary and the list of options for the answers in a game we like to call who wants to be a 19th century lesbian and by that we mean we're not actually going to play anything remotely uh close to who wants to be a millionaire i just wanted to make that joke um, so we're going to be uh, presenting words that are part of the code that Ann Lister used in her diary. And y'all, as the audience, are going to have to figure out which ones are which. So our first question. Which of these euphemisms does Ann Lister use to refer to a vulva? The answers to choose from are A, orchid, B, queer, C, mother of all souls, or D, garden. Uh, if you think you have the answer, please raise your hand and then come up here and speak into our mic with what your answer is. Uh, B, queer. Yes. Uh, Ann Lister loved to, loved to use the word queer to describe anything having to relate to general uh, vaginal vulva pubic area. Um, <laughs> there we go. Uh, so, <laughs> pubic area, just general. Keep the dad jokes rolling. <laughs> um, so, some, some excerpts from her diary. I kissed and pressed very tenderly and got my right hand up her petticoats to queer, but not to the skin. Could not get through her thick knitted drawers. <laughs> and she begins to stand closer to me. I might easily press queer to queer. <laughs> I'm just like, Feeling like like dancing cheek to cheek in my hair in my ears, dancing cheek to cheek, when pressing we're queer to out queer, together, pressing queer to queer. Uh, I pressed her bosom. Then, finding no resistance and the lamp being out, let my hand wander lower down, gently getting to queer. Still no resistance. So I whispered, surely she would care for me a little. Yes. Then gently whispered she would break my heart if she left me. I mean, it feels like a... It just gets scared. It just gets scared. All right, number two. Which of these does, quote, incurring a cross mean? A, getting married. B, masturbation. C, having full-on sex. Or D, getting a new tenant. Anyone have a guess? Having sex, question mark? Ding, 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 ding. Yay. Oh, wait, no, sorry. I got it mixed up. Sorry, I got it mixed up with another question. Um, so that the, the correct answer is B, masturbation. Didn't it just mean 
having an orgasm. That's what I specifically. That's what I thought. Mm-hmm. So specifically, her orgasms were marked in the margins of her diary with an X or a or a cross to denote how many, and it was always recorded in crypt hand as a preferred way to describe an orgasm she had specifically reached by masturbation. Because Anne Lister is a slut for detail. This isn't just, so this isn't just any orgasm. It is specifically a self-induced This this is a self-diddling orgasm. Very proud of herself. Yeah, she is. (laughs) All right. Uh, Number three. What does cousin mean in the following diary excerpt? My cousin was come very gently. <laughs> A, period. B, lover. C, ex-lover. D, a good friend. Y'all are just... We, we have like these two people right next to us who are super excited. All right, I'm going to give it to Heather. Yay, my favorite. It is A, period. <laughs> Ding, 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 ding. Ding, ding. That is correct. That is what Ann Lister referred to as her period. Uh, Predating uh, Aunt Flo. So you can thank Ann Lister for the family member unexpectedly coming. Um, So we have a quote from the diary. On getting up this morning, saw that my cousin was come gently, but put nothing on, and determined to put off breakfasting with my friend for two or three days. She basically... (laughs) So at the time, if you had your period, it was an affair. It was a big affair. It was like, oh, God, I can't hang out with you today, my dear Ann Walker, because I have to do all of the laundry. <laughs> That's a whole mood, though. Yeah. Truth. I mean, it is a whole ass mood. Yeah. So question number four. What does kiss mean in Ann Lister's diaries? For, ex- Try- <laughs> for example, tried for a kiss a considerable time. A, brushing lips together. B, orgasm. C, Cuddle or lay together or D a knife fight. <laughs> Obviously D. Definitely, definitely uh, yeah. Let's just let's just call it now. It's definitely a knife fight. Definitely knife fight. Anyone have a guess? All right. Yeah, that one's an orgasm. <laughs> yeah, that one's an orgasm. Another one. Yes. Uh, Ann Lister uh, was apparently very good at uh, multiple orgasms, as as we we read the diary quotes. Two good kisses at once last night, and three this morning after eight. <laughs> three of four all at once last night, and one more, a good one, at four this morning. A good one. <laughs> Mariana had a very good kiss last night. Mine was not quite so good, but I had a very nice one this morning. <laughs> I really hope the microphone picked that up. I really hope that too. All right. Which of these does Ann Lister use to refer to hand stuff? A. Fingering. B. Pawing. C. Snoo snoo. Or or D. Grubbling. Anyone? We're just going to call you two the, t- the contestants. Yeah, we have two contestants here. Their names are Morgan and Heather. Hi, this is Heather, and I believe it is D, Grubbling. Yeah, I agree. <laughs> we're, we're in consensus that it is indeed Grubbling, which is the least <laughs> sexy word you could ever think of. So to mean, like, using her hands to bring another woman to orgasm. You're like... <laughs> which, which, by the way, Ann Lister... Oh, that, that's, that's all she would do. She despised dildos. She considered them artifice. Like, like, 
touch, did she? She also would have, basically, she was like the, the 19th century equivalent of a stone butch. Yeah. Refused to be pleasured or touched herself. Um, but yeah, th- she would, she would talk about like learning about other sapphists and be like, mmm, there's artifice in that. No, thank you. <laughs> Uh, so, some quotes from the diary. I undressed in half an hour and then went into her room, had her on my knee a few minutes, and then got into bed, she making no objection, grubbling gently. She whispered to me in bed how gentle and kind I was to her and faintly said she loved me. Aw. Aw. Or, no grubbling last night. She was sore. <laughs> It makes me think of the mind is willing, but the flesh is spongy and bruised. <laughs> That's from Futurama with oh Snoo Snoo, which is where Snoo Snoo is from. Oh All right. Uh, which piece of literature does Anne Lister use to essentially ask, but is she gay though? A. Sappho. B. Tegan and Sarah. C. The sixth satire of Juvenal. Or D, Lady Windermere's Fan by Oscar Wilde. Oh, we've stumped them. Morgan. All right, contestant. Morgan. It's either C or D, but I'm leaning towards C. And I was going to say A, so somebody has to be right. (laughs) But it's like an (laughs) insult. And then we have a vote for Tegan and Sarah. And then we have a vote for Tegan and Sarah. Uh, So it is actually C. Uh, the yeah. sixth satire of Juvenal. So, uh, this is a, this is a quote directly from historian Richter Norton. Uh, one of Anne Lister's techniques of seduction mm-hmm. was to mention books which touched upon lesbianism or male homosexuality and then to observe her companion carefully to judge her reaction. In, in 1823, yeah. she remarks that, quote, Miss Pickford has read the sixth satire, satire of Juvenal. She understands these matters well enough. <laughs> uh, Juvenal satire was basically the, like, main classical, like, thing for for the ancient world's description of both male and female homosexuality. Uh, and it was often, there was a lot of allusion to it that became part of, like, modern, at the time, queer cultural identity. And this book tells the story of two stepsisters who had a sexual relationship. Right. So, right. So it basically would be the equivalent of, like, so... Yeah! Yeah! Like, girls, yeah, like, what did you think of the newest episode of One Day at a Time? Mm, yes. All right. All right. Got a couple more. Next question. What does noodle mean in Ann Lister's diaries? Okay. A, to cuddle. B, pasta. C, to dance. Or D, idiot. Oh, we have a new contestant. A new contestant tagging in. I'm pretty sure it's idiot. It is indeed idiot. Yeah. It is indeed idiot. D is the correct answer. Uh, so she would frequent. This is like the only like non-sexual one we've got, uh, which is why we stumped you because all the rest of them are sexual. Yeah, not you, but we not stumped you. one of the other contestants. Uh, so yeah, there's a there's a there's a diary entry in which she writes, "Miss Hobart not satisfied with the grocer's bill and with good reason. Cameron, for any good she does in these matters, is not worth her meat. She is indeed an uncommonly great noodle." I'm gonna start. I am going to start calling people an uncommonly great noodle. All right. So here we go. What does the Jack mean in the name Gentleman Jack? A, she likes that name and asked lovers to call her by it in bed. B, she butch though. C, she was a gambler. Or D, 
she was a car lesbian and just don't think don't too think hard about, about it. it. <laughs> I'm going to go with C because she definitely was a gambler. I kind of like B. She butched, though. <laughs> Indeed, it is B. The answer is B. She, she butched, butched, though. <laughs> Yeah, um, it was it was common to uh, refer to more masculine women at the time as jacks. And one of the uh, stories that Ann Lister told about um, her and Tib, and she decided that they just wouldn't work out because they were both jacks. Um, so butch on butch. Yeah. So yeah. So two two jacks just just don't two jacks don't make a Jill. <laughs> don't know what don't know what that means, but it came into my head. Sounds good. Speaking right. of which. Speaking of which, what word did Ann Lister use to refer to her lovers? Oh. A. Jills. B. Gal pal. C. Amorosos. Or D. Little friends. Hmm. God, I think it is D. I'm concerned it's going to be D. What are our thoughts from the contestants? We're really I'm concerned it might be D, but then again, gal pals, you know, it's timeless. <laughs> yeah, I'm also very afraid that it might be D. <laughs> Rest your pretty little heads, she liked foreign words. Oh, oh my God! <laughs> it is, in fact, C, amorosos. It is. Yes. And our final question, how was Ann Lister known to describe her own sexuality and gender? A, her most core self. B, she didn't have a word or phrase. C, her oddity, or D, her caprice. Oh, I see. I see new new people asking. I'm gonna go with A, her most core self. I think it's C, her oddity. It is C, Yay! her oddity. Her oddity. <laughs> yes. Uh, Anne devised her own terminology to, dis- to discuss her butch lesbianism, seeing herself as basically the connecting link, and neither a man or woman or society in society. With pride, she called herself. An oddity. And that's what we have for y'all. Yeah. Yo, you all win. Yay! Everybody wins. Yes. So uh, one final thing before we do our How Gay Were They rating is if you want to get involved in transcribing Ann Lister's diaries, that you can actually, we believe, according to the website, the West Yorkshire Archive Service is still looking for volunteers. You can go to the Ann Lister Diary Transcription Project. So those of you in this room or if you're at home and they have like a little, they ask you to transcribe like a little section of her diary and, but you can get involved. You can, you can read all of the gay things that, mm-hmm. that Ann Lister wrote in her diary and code. There's yeah. also a Facebook page for that. There's yes. also a Facebook also a page Facebook for page. it. We will put links in our show notes. Yes. So. As we sign off, and this is knowing that there is far more to come. Yes. Uh, so we'll do a preliminary just based on the weird words that Ann Lister used to describe her lady loving. How gay were they, Gretchen? I, oh man, I would put her out of like 15 out of 10 grublings. <laughs> <laughs> That's fair. That <laughs> someone would be very sore after that. Yes, very sore. Very sore. Lee, Lee, where do you put Ann Lister? Uh, I'm going to uh, give Ann Lister about uh, 13 little crosses in the top of her diary. That's how gay she was. And that someone would also be very sore after that. Yeah. Yes. All right, everyone. Uh, thank you so much. Until next time. Stay queer. And stay curious. Woo! Woo!